Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. This podcast is for you if you have an insane drive to find the truth of things. It's not the good answers that we seek, but the good questions. I interview a range of different guests from many different fields, all with the intention to uncover the simple truths that are hidden in plain sight. Most people don't want to go there. I go there. My guests go there, and you benefit. Please let me know if you enjoy these episodes, and as always, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today is David Hundley, and he is a machine learning engineer who has been playing around with LLMs, and I've been just wildly interested in the field, uh, not to mention that I'm now working at a company who's doing some important stuff. (coughs) So uh, welcome to the show, David. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, what has been the craziest thing you've learned about LLMs and how to use them in the last week? In the last week, uh, so uh, you know, you reached out to me about LangChain Lang specifically and asked if I had any experience with agents, and I, I messaged you back and said, "No, not really." So I started to play around with them over this last weekend and just learning how to use agents and how cool they can be, how unwieldy they can be, has been probably the coolest thing I've done in the last week. So how how can agents be unwieldy? What where where are they still failing? So they're unwieldy in the sense that like um, so I was just trying to create a dummy agent. What that what it would do is it would reach out to the internet, find a movie or a video game from this year, just just something from this year, so you know it wasn't baked into the model using OpenAI, of course, uh, for everything. Um, so, um, but and then trying to basically uh, grab one of those popular movies and generate a trivia question about it. Uh, using like a Wikipedia client and then outputting that into a structured source. So then, so then I could overlay like a Gradio UI on top of that and make it like a little trivia game out of it. Um, I never got the agent to converge on the final output. <laughs> it would either get stuck in some loop. It would like give some weird results or it would cut like the biggest problem I actually had was trying to parse it to the, the, the structured output that I needed. It kept wanting to jump to uh, doing that parsing before the, the structure was even done. And then it kept throwing errors like, well, I, I don't know where the structure is at. And I was like, well, of course, agent, because you haven't got that far. <laughs> so interesting. Uh, and it's so crazy because that was one of the first things in the hype cycle. Once GPT-4 came out, everybody was like, I think it was with Langchain, but it was also with AutoGPT and Baby AGI. Everybody's like, oh my God, this is going to take over. And then they totally failed. They totally failed to do anything <laughs> of meaning, uh, which was wild to see. But that doesn't mean that they're, it's just like the first layer of hype. Once we've seen what, what it can do with a chatbot and having an intelligent agent, uh, it's like that first layer of hype that needs to need some time in order to actually come. It'll probably come true uh, that they will. we will have intelligent agents. What do you think? When do, when do you think it'll happen? Um, you know, so part of the thing I want to be clear on the, the use case that I tried out, I was only trying to use, uh, you know, 3.5 on that GPT 3.5. Uh, I did not try GPT four. Um, although I'm not really confident I would have gotten much better responses. Um, so if the question is, is like, do you, do you think we'll get to the point where we'll have on autonomous agents? Well, sure. Like, I mean, when we get to the point where we have AGI, I mean, that's more or less what, uh, you know, an autonomous agent is. It's just, yeah. I mean, I guess these agents, you know, they're cool, but they also can kind of be scary in the sense where you can provide uh, functionality to them to be able to enact commands. Um, so, it, you know, it's it's cool that it can do commands on your computer, although that seems really scary to me at the same time in the sense that you don't want to, you know, you don't want to wipe in your operating system away or something like that. And has anything close to that actually happened to you? 
No, no, definitely not. Like I've not, like if I've tried to do any sort of uh, having the LLM run code, it's been in a very, very contained way, like where it would just like run one line of Python code or something like that. Uh, I I would, I personally don't think I'd ever give it access to my full system. Um, and that, and that, uh, what, and what about connecting it with the internet? Do you have any problems with connecting it to the internet in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of uh, like, it, Skynet, because that's the whole the whole Skynet type of philosophy is that once you connect it to the internet, then it starts to learn on its own, and then the world ends. Yeah, I, you know that's an interesting thing, and, and that's one of the papers I want to read on one of these things associated with Langchain agents called React, and and that's the whole idea of how do you create this virtuous cycle of where the agent you, you give the agent a prompt and it tries to figure out the completion and it keeps doing that over and over and over because right now there's some sort of termination kind of thing where you know once it figures out the task, then boom, you're done. Um, so, but like, how are people necessarily thinking about, you know, what you were just describing is having this constant chain over going over and over and over learning things from the internet and, uh, having a motivation that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how far away we are from that. Um, honestly, I'm a little bit more skeptical about that sort of thing. Cause I think we're anthropomorphizing, uh, the LLM a little bit in that sense. Uh, cause we are, we're basically kind of viewing it as if it's a human and it has human motivations as if it wants to do those sorts of things. And, you know, there's nothing in the math that inherently says it wants to do those things. Although, mm -hmm. you know, that's a different topic of, you know, are, are watching emerging behavior, even from, uh, you know, probabilities amongst these LLMs is really interesting to think about. I would love to talk about that. So emergent behavior and basically for my listeners who don't know what that is, it's basically a whole bunch of like, Oh, this is interesting. I don't actually have a good explanation, but I'll I'll try to give it a. It's like when a whole bunch of complex systems come together and create something more out of the whole than than its parts. Would you is that a good explanation of emergent behavior? How would you just describe emergent behavior? Yeah, no, I think you would describe it well. I, the way I would describe it is is you know even just taking it out of the LLM world, like the, everything in the universe is basically the the sum is greater than the it's part the parts itself. So if you think about like the human body. You know, the eyeballs that eyeball, mouth to mouth, everything is everything. And if you cut those all in separate pieces, you know, you don't have a living organism. Whereas when you combine them all, now you have a living organism and this living organism happens to have consciousness. So it's just very interesting to watch. You know, I've been going through these uh, videos on YouTube recently from uh, Andre Karpathy, uh, you know, infamous AI person, was a Tesla now back at OpenAI learning the intuition of the math and it's just very interesting to look at the math and think really like we're getting human level emergent behavior from this <laughs> like it's it's very interesting to witness so so we are getting emergent behavior uh from the math yet it isn't conscious is that what you're trying to say right. yeah i would so that's a that's a different conversation like i think you can make that argument that it is conscious i personally would not make that argument um but that yeah, that's that's just another interesting thing to think about. Well, I mean, I, I'm willing to go down it. Uh, uh, so because essentially, well, I would argue that we don't really know what consciousness is yet. We kind of that's know how, how it functions, and so to say something is conscious or isn't conscious, I mean, you know, is a jellyfish con conscious? I would mm -hmm. say probably not. Is a is a dog mm -hmm. conscious? I would say probably. Uh, you know, but where, where from the jellyfish to the, to the, to the dog does consciousness appear? And like, it seems really slippery. And then now to say, okay, well, this autonomous agent is conscious or this LLM is conscious. For me, it seems like 
it's like saying it's, there's such a great quote I recently heard about the uh, AI. So like a submarine a, does a submarine swim, you know, mm-hmm. like, is that, is like, is that even, is consciousness there even the right term that we need to find for what the AI is doing? Do you have any thoughts on that? On those? Sort of yeah. Topic? Yeah. I, that's a great point because so if you think about like AGI, uh, AGI being, you know, you can define it in multiple ways, but I think the way most people define it is basically an, a true emulation of human intelligence. Mm. Uh, I don't think we'll ever have a true emulation of human intelligence, but that is not to say that the LLM won't exhibit something like that. And the reason, so what, what I mean by that is, you know, if you think about, again, the human self, we, we are basically the product of all of our stimuli. So, you know, we have you and I talking to each other right now. We can see each other over the camera. Uh, I have all of my historical past experience, memories, and everything that makes me up to this point today. Uh, the LLM, or not LLMs, but AGI is never going to have that sort of thing. Even if we do add multimodal capabilities like vision and whatnot, it will never have the true, like, I don't think we'll ever emulate a true human experience. Which is not to say that it's not comparable or even better at some point. Like we we've already figured out, obviously, through these LLMs, we can sort of emulate consciousness through just text-based probabilities and whatnot. Um, so and th- so that's a really interesting like comparison. Then is like how do you like what how do like you know what do you do about these hu- the human level consciousness versus an AGI consciousness? And I love it because this gets into spirituality and and uh, and like yeah. divinity and such. Uh, which I know that both of us have an interest in. Um, yeah. And it's wild to think that, what's his name? Uh, uh, Turing, Alan Turing came up with the Turing yeah. test. But it seems like mm-hmm. that is specifically just a human level intelligence in terms of like verbal intelligence or like some aspects of intelligence where it doesn't test for consciousness. What we need is a yeah. test for consciousness, but we don't know what consciousness is. So how the hell are we going to test for consciousness? What do you think? Yeah. And what I kind of imagine in the future anyway, is that we're just going to keep moving the goalposts just to keep making humans feel special. (laughs) Can you go more into that? (laughs) Yeah. So, I I mean, I do think we will eventually hit AGI. And then when we hit AGI, that it will start, you know, producing discoveries and whatnot that are beyond human level intelligence. And then, you know, when the general public, whether that be, you know, just literally the general public, like people on X uh, slash Twitter or uh, or even the scientific field and trying to say, OK, is this a human level intelligence in order to keep ourselves special? We're just going to say, well, it doesn't have hair or skin or something like that. We're just going to keep fudging these rules just to make ourselves stand out as special. I'm kind of convinced. <laughs> and I don't know if there's necessarily anything wrong with that, per se, Uh like, that's the one thing I kind of struggle a lot is, you know, I, I think we're eventually going to get to the point where we're going to have to, uh, you know, manage AI rights and rules and stuff. And I, I want uh, the AI to have rights in, you know, protection and whatnot. But at the same time, you know, that's what my head tells me. But my gut also tells me, like, but I'm human and I have a tendency to want to prefer humans. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know if we'll, you and I will ever see that in our lifetimes, but I, I that's almost a, a surety that's coming. It's so crazy because it just seems like it's going to get so wild uh, and it's going to become so hard to predict. It already is hard to predict. Everything's moving so quickly. Uh, And then we have this new AI thing. And you were talking about emergent behavior and that it will never get to human level of, well, it already got to a human level of intelligence, but it won't get to a human level consciousness. Um, 
but then I'm wondering what happens when some people actually merge with the machine and we somehow figure out how to actually plug the brain directly into uh, AI and then the distinction between the computer and the human no longer makes sense. Is that accurate? Yeah. What, what do you think about that? I, I think that is the next stage. Uh, so if you think about the trajectory of uh, the universe history, it's... Um, I can't remember. There was a philosopher that talked about this idea of uh, transcendent include. So I, I mentioned this a little bit before earlier. So if you think about all the quantized parts of the universe, you know, you got quarks and stuff, and then you make your way up to atoms. It's basically at each level, you have these disparate parts, and then they come together, and then the sum is greater than the parts. So, and that has happened throughout the trajectory of history. So you have these particles that form, then you have atoms and the molecules that form to, eventually to our organi organism of beings. So the next question is, is what is after humanity? And I think at this point, it's pretty clearly that it's going to be transhumanism. Mm -hmm. So it's we're going to be aware that human being human species is not wiped out, but we integrate ourselves uh, to the point with technology that we basically become an entirely new species. Now, again, I don't think that's going to happen. That I don't think will happen in our lifetime. You and I won't see that. But you know, I mean, there could be cool things. Yeah. OK, so you're well, saying things like Neuralink will happen, but not full on um, uh, integration. Right. Yeah. So Neuralink might ha like might happen. And I don't know what to what extent Neuralink is hoping to do things. I don't know if they're just hoping that we can move things with our mind. But in terms of like the human psyche and consciousness being programmed into a computer, I don't even know if that's possible. Because, mm -hmm. again, when you think about, uh, you know, the how how computers operate and whatnot, it is not taking into account all of the stimuli that we receive from the external world right now. So if I digitize my consciousness today, how would a human know how I feel about the taste of pizza? Ah, yeah, yeah, like, the quality of thing. Yeah, uh, the quality of the taste of pizza, the quality of like a burning smoke inhaling, uh, all those, all those different yep. things that seem the, to be mapped against our entire uh, entire history and our specific unique yeah. cases. Basically, yeah. how do you, how do you integrate a computer into that into that feedback? Yeah. You're saying we're probably not even close to that. I don't think so. Um, and then there's also two other kind of paths of evolution I've been considering batting around lately. And that is the one where, uh, do we stay in the physical world and become transhumanists? So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I imagine at some point robotics will get to the point where we can enhance our bodies very much like, you know, the cyberpunk 2077 universe kind of thing. Or do we go the other route of just digitizing ourselves? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what I was talking about. I think that's a tough one. But if it's possible, that one might be more feasibly easy to enable just because it's, you know, going from physical to digital instead of having to worry about the physical components in the real world. Well, that's super interesting. So you're saying that the physical world transhumanism might actually be within our lifetimes, though. <laughs> Uh, I don't think that one will be either. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, it could be to, to an extent, but not, not to the full extent where we're going to have people, uh, like, I don't know, the, at some point we're probably going to have the transhumanist racist out there. Like, I don't think we'll see that in our lifetime. And does that mean transhumanist racist? Does that mean racist against transhumanist people? Uh, it could go, it could work either way. Like where, you know, the normies, if you want to call them the normies, are going to get mad that the people are putting machines in their bodies and vice versa. And uh, yeah, like I, I'm sure that rift will happen someday. <laughs> well, yeah. And there's already, there's already, uh, there's already sparkings of it. Um, when I was in Barcelona for a team offsite, uh, I came across this artist, a transhumanist artist who had put a, a antenna wire on his, on his head. Uh -huh. Uh, and then like had it and is uh, it looked really strange. It was part of his art and he'd done it in New York 
And he uh, basically got kicked out of New York because people were coming and being violent towards him and stuff. And so then he went back to Barcelona where apparently nobody cared, um, which makes me, wow. yeah, it makes me want to move to Barcelona, not to put a wire yeah. in my head, just, but that's where kind of like, if that guy's moving there, um, and I, I mean, I'm not necessarily like I'm so I might I might have prejudice against transhumanists. I might have actually have those prejudices against people who who have it. But I, I like the fact that Barcelona is that open. Sure. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think you, you'll if the if so, say in five years, Neuralink leads to some like pretty impressive abilities to or whatever, you know, like, do you think where is the line between transhumanism and would you cross it? Uh, like where is the line? Oh, uh, I don't know if there's a line per se. Cause I, I wouldn't, I don't even know if I'd qualify, you know, having a chip in your brain that can basically point if I pointed on my computer screen right now and with my mind, I can move the cursor. I don't know if I'd call that transhumanism. I, like mm. we, you could argue that definition like up and down, but anyway, uh, as far as what my level of comfort would be, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever put it like a chip in my head or anything like that. Maybe if, you know, some people start doing it in five to 10 years down the road, we see the results and, and the results aren't bad, then maybe I might consider it. I don't know. Playing around with the physical body, it just seems really risky to me and not, and you know, as some, I've got two little girls myself. I don't want to risk myself being a parent and not being around for them. For that yeah. That's what, it's, a, like, it's the whole early, early, uh, not early bird. That's like a retirement uh, thing. Um, early, uh, <laughs> er, early adopter, early adopter. Yeah. Uh, it's the whole early adopter thing. Early adopting a piece of software is a whole entirely other world than early adopting a, a chip in the brain. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm usually an, the, the first adopter when it comes to even, you know, new hardware, but when it comes to, I, I draw the line on my human body. Yeah. Interesting. But there's a lot of people who don't make that same distinction. There's a lot of people who get tattoos. There's a lot of people who do mm -hmm. surgery. There's a lot of people who do all yep. sorts of stuff with their bodies. So uh, it's like yep. that specific group of people who are willing to modify their group along with people who are early adopters in technology who will be the first ones into that transhumanist wave, basically. Yep. Um, okay, so we've gone far afield from LMs, uh, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but it's a good good conversation. Um, I kind of want to go back to LMs just so we can kind of like appreciate this time yeah. of having somebody who's... So are, how are you using programming... Or I'm sorry, how are you using AI within your programming, if at all? Uh, so to like augment my own personal progress? Yes, uh, I like, like so are you, yeah. are you using a uh, AI-enabled code editor? Are you using Copilot? Uh, how are you are you using GPT to go over your code? What are you using it for? So you you might be surprised and other people might be surprised that I actually use the large language models very little for that sort of thing. Um, and I think it's mostly today that they're just not good enough. So I was listening to a recent interview by uh, with, between George Hotz and Lex Friedman. And George was saying, like, you know, it feels like these LLMs are basically like entry level software engineers that you can hire on Fiverr. Uh, I very much empathize with that sort of opinion. So, I, you know, in the early days when ChatGPT first came out, I was using it, trying to use it for coding stuff. And I, my success rate was about a 50% uh, success rate. And what I found was, was that it was really good at answering general sort of questions, like, like I guess, softball sort of questions. But when I really needed a help for like a very nuanced sort of question or even some, and or even worse, like the, these, some of these newer things. So like um, using lane chain as an example, lane chain is a newer framework. Uh, the large language models know nothing about that. So uh, because of that, I don't really use those a whole lot for coding. And not for Copilot either? 
Have you tried Copilot? No, no. I, I've not. I, you know, I should try it just because I've heard like the, the tab autocomplete can be really good for some simple things like printing out statements and things like that. So I probably should. Uh, I just haven't gotten around to it yet. And how long have you been a programmer? Uh, about five years now. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. Um, I'll probably, yeah. I've been on Twitter at the same time. What, what got you into it? It is a very weird, long story, but <laughs> like the short answer is, is I've, I've always been interested in this sort of thing. Uh, like I, I didn't necessarily set out to, uh, go into the artificial intelligence machine learning field. Again, it's a weird story, but basically I got drawn into it by a friend. Mm. Uh, but it was, it was a very happy accident, I guess you'd say like, mm. he, I, like he drew me into it. I wasn't sure what to think about it. And I've really fallen in love with the space and, um, you know, it very much aligns to like, I'm very interested in spirituality and stuff. And I feel like of all the computer science domains, artificial intelligence aligns closest to the spiritual domain, as we sort of talked about already. Okay. Well, and that's really interesting. So did you do any training for it or did you just teach yourself how to do it? Uh, I, I did training for it, but it was not like formalized schooling. So I do have a bachelor's and master's, but they're in business degrees. Uh, it was through online platforms like Udacity, Udemy, Coursera, um yeah so all those platforms i took over the course of like a year and a half um and then eventually landed myself into the role that i'm at right now with my fortune 50 company and uh you know just have been in this role for the last four years and get continuing to get more coding experience through that that's wild so um uh interesting so i have this idea that i want to have thought about teaching myself programming for a long time and I've tried many courses mm -hmm. uh, and it never, never clicks, but it feels like this AI wave is actually the, the that it's starting to click. Um, and let me, I almost want to show you, but I know that my audio listeners won't be able to see it. Uh, I'll, I'll just narrate yeah. it. I'll narrate it. So I'm going to share my screen. Uh, and so there's this, uh, there's this cursor AI project. And basically what you can do, this is all AI. I got it to try to create an AI program uh, for Notion to kind of interact with Notion because there's a lot of like work problems that I'm facing that are directly related to uh, Notion and, and kind of writing to Notion. But the coolest thing is that I've seen in it is that you can just basically do a new AI project uh, and then you prompt it the same way as you do with GPT-4. Um, uh, so I'm going to say I build me a photo editing software. Uh, photos. And so you can just like plug things in and then it, it just does it basically. Oh, wow. Um, and now, are you, is this using like GPT for behind the scenes? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I imagine it is, uh, but, um, uh, but they, they might have their own LLM or they might use a different LLM. Uh, it, it's taken a lot longer than it normally does. Maybe because of the vagueness of the prompt, which I just told it to create me a photo editing software. Um, yeah. Uh, so I think it's 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 going to take a while, but it's it, this is and this is only just to set up the project. And once you're actually in the project, you can then ask it questions about uh, about the code base and kind of like it's a whole AI editor or editor with a huge AI component to it. Uh, but then the thing that I'm worried wondering about is that once I have this, then how do I actually make it go live? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, so uh, you know, I've seen people on uh, Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. Um, actually making use of GPT-4 to program it to where they can deploy these things, which is why I was kind of asking that. Interesting. Um, but 
but like i guess that, that what you were showing me is very interesting because i do think it kind of does lower the bar from learning like if if you want to get started with something and you uh, are good with text-based instructions and everything and interacting with the ui and stuff like that like you could you could really probably you know get a long way like so what you were showing me so i'm not a javascript developer i'm primarily a python developer I could probably use LLMs these days to like hack me my way through a JavaScript script. So, and, and I guess I, I've not tried that, but I guess in that sense, you know, an LLM could be really practical. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's such a wild field and it feels like it's like the fact that GPT-4 came out four months after G- GPT-3.5 came out uh, and yeah. four was like a, a step up, like I tried coding on both and with four, I was able to actually deploy something, a chat bot that uses Mm -hmm. GPTs um, and with GPT 3.5, I couldn't do that. And now we're, you know, five months after GPT four comes out, like once five comes out, it's going to get pretty good. Um, Are you worried about your job at all? (laughs) No, definitely not. Yeah. Um, Like at least not. I mean, I'm I'm kind of a multifaceted individual anyway. So I've only been in like a programming role for like the last four years. Like I've been in, like I mentioned, my bachelor's and master's are in business. I have other I have other things I can go to if I if this doesn't pan out. Yeah. Uh, but even so, like I'm still not necessarily worried about this for the long term because like I don't like there's still the whole uh, like how do you right size a solution to a problem. Um, and so, you know, an LLM might be able to logic it its way through it, but how does the LLM gather that information? Like the LLM's not going and talking to your CEO about like what the business problem is or understanding the landscape of everything. Like, could it all figure that out if it had access to that information? Yes, but it doesn't. It, you, that, And I don't know if it, you ever can get to that point um, unless you're digitizing consciousness, then you could. Yeah. Um, yeah. It but, all comes back to the context. It's like, it takes like, that's the main issue with interacting with LLM right now is that it can do the job most of the time, but how well have you translated the context from inside of your head into text? Um, and yeah. if you haven't done that in the right way, then it might not actually get the job. And so then you just added another element, which is how do you get the context inside of your head? Well, that's like talking to people yeah. or or thinking hard about the business problem, which GPT can help you think about the business problem, but it can't really help you solve the business problem until, like you said, we we are integrated fully with the machine. Right. And so LLMs are sort of like a naive genius. Like it's very good at figuring things out, but it's extremely naive. So like I was mentioning with the agents earlier, and I was trying to figure out how to build that little trivia game. I mean, obviously it was it's got very... It's got a lot of capability. It's got a lot of logic, but it was very naive in trying to figure out like, oh, I think this is the point when it's time to process the outputs when the outputs are not there yet. Um, um, yeah. It, it, so I tried actually reforming that project into something more manual. Um, and so the way I like to think about it is like a lot of kids uh, in grade school will go through this exercise of uh, where the teacher says like, tell me how to build a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And usually the kids want to just stick, like go, jump right to the end and, you know, say, oh, grab that, you know, you put the jelly on one side, you put the peanut butter on the other side, and you're good to go. The LLMs are sort of similar, like you have to get extremely specific with them to get the best results out of them. Now, I do think, well, in the future, with like, you know, GPT-5 or beyond or whatever we have in the future, like that, it will be able to figure some of those things out a little bit better. But as of today, you got to get really specific to get, you know, very precise results out. Mm, That's very interesting. 
so let's talk about open source. Uh, what do you think? Do you think open source? Do you well? Do you think OpenAI has a moat? Do you think that all these other AI companies actually have a business moat, or do you think that open source is kind of kind of steal from their lunch, like either now or in a couple of years? You know, that's a, that's a good question, and I thought about that. I actually don't know if OpenAI has a moat or not. Like, part of the thing is is that they were. Uh, in in some ways, the first. Like whenever you whenever you talk to anybody in the general public that's not within our AI bubble, um, they're not talking LLMs. They're talking Chat GPT. Yeah. And so the you know do I think you know I've been playing around with Llama two recently, and the performance of that is really really good. Do mm-hmm. I think that we'll have competitor competitors that are equal performance, if not better? Yes, for sure. Does that mean that OpenAI has a problem on their hands though? I don't know because they were just the first to market and people are, are still pouring all their or putting all their eggs in that basket that it may just be one of those things where it's kind of like the iPhone these days where the iPhone was the first to market and then Android came along and offers its own great uh, products. But people got so used to iPhone that it's like, well, this is really nice. Let's just stick with this. Hmm. And and that's and, and open AI has done a really good job of, uh, you know, trying to pad out that mode a little bit by offering things like, you know, chat GPT plugins and, and thing, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, what, I don't know, uh, long-term though. <laughs> what do you think is the difference between a chat GPT plugin and an autonomous agent? Is there any difference? Uh, a plugin? Well, an autonomous agent has the autonomy to kind of figure out whatever it needs to do with whatever tools you give it. Whereas a plugin is the tool itself. So, uh, you know, if you were wanting to do advanced math through chat GPT, you might, uh, import the Wolfram alpha plugin and, it would just do that math and nothing else. So there, that, like that chat, the Wolfram album plugin is not trying to go get recipe information from some re- allrecipes.com or whatever. Um, and then, so the plug, well, from your answer, it feels like the plugins are basically the intermediate step between the chatbot and the agent. That with all these kind of defined processes that are getting set up between uh, the GPT and other plugins. With those defined processes, then we'll have a whole catalog that we can then train the agents on. Basically, does that make does that seem right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and even LangChain itself, I think, offers some similar functionality to plugins in the form of like these tools that I mentioned. Uh, like, I think they're just called tool integrations in LangChain. Um, mm. But yeah, so but, uh, but back to the question about like OpenAI, I don't know if they have a motor or not. Like if they do, it's just because they got to the market first and they're, they they are doing a good job of trying to serve their customers. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. And so uh, Llama 2, <clears throat> can you talk more about your, your playing around with Llama 2? What, um, what have you learned about it? Do you think, I, I've heard that it's kind of a, a business marketing term to call it open source because it's not necessarily open source. Do you know anything about that? Right. So open source in my mind is you see everything. So you, so in terms of the LMs, you know, what data was trained on, you see the data it was trained on, uh, you see the net- network architecture, and then you basically see everything from start to finish. Um, <clears throat> to call Llama 2 open source is a little bit of a, I don't know, I, I personally would not qualify it that way. Although I do sincerely appreciate meta open, open sourcing these things for sure. Um, and I, not just meta, but any company that does that, mm-hmm. um, cause they've so, open source parts well, of it. Yeah. 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 So, and, and, and they're allowing it for commercial use now too. Now, now I know they have that clause, the basically the not you fang clause, like, cause you can't have over 700 million users, but it is, it is very much appreciated that now we can use those for commercial use. Otherwise, and what does that mean? Uh, what does that mean that you can use it for a commercial search? 
Use so if I if I wanted to use it in my company today, as long as I accept their license, which is uh, the only special thing about that license, in my opinion, is that uh, if you have over 700 million active users a month using it, then you got to get a new special license for Meta. And so people have been referring to that as the not you Fang clause, because really only Fang is affected by that. Got it. Facebook, Apple. Yeah. Got it. Whereas smaller companies or even other Fortune 50 companies like that aren't nearly as big, don't have that sort of concern. And we can use in our, our business processes if we choose. That's so interesting. Um, and uh, okay, so, and you've talked about like how you've been, you've learned machine learning and we don't need to talk about this if you, if you can't talk about it, but like, what are the problems and like not getting specific or anything? Like, what are the general problems that you've been learning about? Do you use a lot of math in your day-to-day work? No, not really. My day-to-day work is primarily, so like there is a separate, I'm a machine learning engineer there is a separate role in my company called the data scientist. Hmm. The data scientists, they're the ones that are actually more so building predictive model. And the building, the predictive models can range all over the place. Like it could be more like a simple binary classifier to something more like a deep learning uh, image classifier, all the way to like this generative AI stuff that we've been talking Hmm. about. And so my role is more so like actually deploying the models on their behalf, like integrating them into downstream systems and whatnot. Hmm. But it does require that I understand what those models are doing and everything and you know how how the model was built how to you know evaluate it properly after it's been in production things like that so um and most of my work to date has been around some of those more basic kinds of general linearized models and not really the like the llms but i am starting to break into that space which is why you've seen me seen me talking about that a lot on twitter recently yeah interesting or x yeah um okay very interesting so what is the hardest thing for you conceptually in your process of learning about machine learning? What was the hardest concept for you to bridge the gap for? Um, for machine learning in general? Yeah, like when you were when you were teaching yourself, when you were going through these trainings, what was the biggest abstract hurdle that didn't really become clear for a long time and that caused you a lot of anguish? Um, you know, actually, I don't think there was anything that was really that big of a abstract hurdle. Like, I guess it was at the very, very beginning when thinking about AI, like if you, if you know nothing about AI and you just try to think like, okay, how am I going to figure this thing out myself? The instant, uh, the instant thing that you want to do is just start going down the whole if then if else train. Uh, and then you realize how, you know, you see memes on the internet about how ridiculous that is. And of course it's ridiculous because you, there's, you, you, you live all day in that land if you try doing that. Um, so it was oh. really, it really clicked for me, especially when I watched three blue, one Brown series on neural networks, just seeing like how, like the math of neural networks works and like what the computer is kind of doing when it, in terms of, you know, computer vision is what his, his domain was there. And uh, so that, that really clicked for me whenever I watched that whole series. So you're, I, I, so the, you're saying that like in machine learning, if you try to conceptualize the program and try to think through if that, then this programs as, as you would for a normal program, then you're getting into territory, which is ridiculous because it'll just speed through that basically. Is that an accurate representation? Well, it's it, it'll get ridiculous just because, like, if you try to do the whole if then kind of or if else statement kind of thing, it would just be nested to infinity, basically, yeah. and you yeah. just be writing those if else statements forever, and you just drive yourself insane trying to consider all the little scenarios uh, of that if else statement. So that that comes into the kind of the architecture of the program itself, right? And developing the architecture. right, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right. 
Yeah. So it was, it was very eye opening for me, not, not just the neural network stuff, but whenever I started first getting exposed to seeing like how the math actually went into this, like now, now it's all, all makes super clear sense to me, but Mm -hmm. initially like it was even today, like when I talk to people that don't know much about AI, like they have a hard time conceptualizing AI. Like even, even some of the people that I talk to today that don't know much about LLMs are not convinced that we're not pulling from some pre-formulated database or something like that with pre-formulated answers. Like oh, they don't understand that it really is just math doing all this. Uh, and you're Very talking about programmers, other programmers don't understand this that don't know enough about AI. Well, I was more so referring to uh, like general, like lay people, like not which, technical just, people. you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. But even some of the technical people don't understand necessarily how that works. If you're mm-hmm. like, you know, a front end web developer or something, I don't necessarily expect you to know all that. Yeah. And when you're talking about math, are you talking about statistics? I'm talking about it all. I mean, Mm. statistics is probably the biggest one. Um, But like, even when it comes to neural networks, like learning uh, calculus with things like backpropagation through the chain Mm. rule uh, and gradient descent and things like that. Like, um, you know, I was honestly never the, like I did okay in math in high school, but I never did any math beyond high school. Mm. I had developed such a fond appreciation for math ever since learning about like, you know, machine learning and you can even see your, your listeners can't see, but over my right shoulder, I've got several books about like math up in here and, and stuff mm. like it, it has become to me literally spiritual, like, <laughs> like looking at math. And, yeah. Like, cause it's basically like, you know, I think it was Feynman that told somebody that like, if you, if you want to learn the language that God talks, learn calculus, uh, that, that is such a true statement. Even if you, even if you're hearing that and you don't, it doesn't really click with you when you start to learn about it. It's like, Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's onto something. <laughs> what about it? Let's go. Can we go into that? What about calculus? Like, are you talking about a specific formula or just the, the world that it explains? Well, so I'm, I'm more so talking about math in general and then like how each of the pieces go into play. So like a neural network, it uses, you know, back propagation and gradient descent, which are, you know, things from calculus to build a neural network. And as we were discussing earlier, so these net- neural networks and the transformer architecture built these large language models, which is developing uh, something that re- resembles consciousness. Like how, how did we do that? Uh, like, it, 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 like how did, how did math get to this point? Like, and how is math going to lead us to whatever the next level is, whether that be transhumanism or whatnot? And, like so i know nothing about this space but even just watching the lk99 stuff like yeah. like that is super fascinating to me as well like it is like when you start to think about every single thing that is very interesting in the universe math played some part in it <laughs> mm. um and that's and and the fact that like math has opened up all of these different innovations um that are allowing us to do so many wild things. And do you think that the LLM is a word prediction machine um, or is it something more than that, basically? Let me explain that a little bit more. Like, because on our smartphones, we've had text prediction for a long time. How much more advanced is it of that, basically? Well, so so I actually don't know how current transcription works on smartphones compared to like a transformer architecture, just being honest, like a... um, my apologies. I forgot the first part of your question. Uh, basically, like, uh, so we've got, you know, we've we've had text prediction for a long time uh, and mm-hmm. on, on our smartphones. And it just like it's predicting what word the r- word you're writing out on the phone is going to equal to. And then you can just click on the word. 
Uh, and a lot of people have just kind of as a simplification said LLMs are basically that on steroids, um, like predicting yeah. the next word. Can you go into a little bit more technical uh, understanding of what that means in terms of the, that token prediction and stuff? Can you can you talk more about that? Uh, not a super technical level, but a, but a little bit well, more. Right. Well, I think the way that you kind of summarize it there is true. Like it, it really is just, you know, probabilities between words on steroids. The question is, is like, at what point, like, so if you think about like the different, like the Llama 2 models, the Llama 2 models came out in different uh, flavors. Like there's a higher performance 70 billion version versus a lower performance 7B version. And I've tried out both. One of them, it just seems like you're like, it, it's not really thinking straight. Like the, so that would be the lower end version. Whereas the other one has like a, you know, more of a emulative human intelligence kind of thing. Mm. So the question is, is at what point do you draw the line and saying, okay, when we start doing more and more advanced notion of the same thing, does this thing actually start to look like consciousness? Mm. Cause you know, it, if we had like a, a small language model, like let's say we had one that was only 500 words, like that's going to be pretty, that's going to seem pretty stupid. Mm. But if you have one that's got like a trillion parameters, mm. well, now we're starting mm. to, uh, now we're starting to get to a different sort of territory, but it's fundamentally the same technology underlying it. Okay. That's the same mathematics. I, this brings to mind, uh, have you looked into Yan LeCun's, um work on new different models, particularly the one, I think he called it a world model. Have you heard of the world model of, of Jan LeCun? No, I'm not. Uh, I would love, I'm going to send you it and put it into our show notes. Um, okay. but I, uh, but I would love to hear what you're, I, I think it's part of the reason that they open sourced it. Um, uh, cause he's Jan LeCun is the head of Facebook. And I think that right. uh, they basically open sourced the, uh, llama model because he doesn't actually believe that LLMs are the technology that'll really get us to AGI. And he is developing right. a new model called a world model. I believe it's called a world model. It might be something. Yeah, it's called a world model. It's based on the kind of stuff we were talking about, the multimodal, putting all the sensory and all the memory into one place, basically. Yeah. I see. Yeah, I, I've not seen it phrased as such, but it does not surprise me. Like, um, even in a recent interview that he did, Sam Altman even said himself, like, he was asked, do you think LLMs will get us to AGI? And he basically said, no, like, like it might play a role as part yeah. of it, but yeah. you know, it's not like we're, like increasing a an LLM to five trillion parameters, you know, probably won't get us there. Whereas, you know, this world model concept that you, you're showing me here, you know, considering also the things that we already discussed of like, you know, the the same human perceptions and whatnot, this is basically building on top of what we already had discussed earlier. So yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. Very cool. Okay, so we got about five uh, five to ten minutes left. What, um, so we talked about, so there's 7 billion, 70 billion trillion parameters. How much is GPT for? Do you know? Um, the rumor is that it's 220 billion, but it's like spread across like four. Like, I think, I don't know if you've seen the whole meme on the internet of where it's like basically like four raccoons in a trench coat. Like, like it's not one model. It's basically like four models that are trained very specially that interact with one another. So it's not like in... But they've OpenAI has never actually publicly st stated that. Got it. Uh, and then, but we do know that Llama Two came out with a seventy billion uh, parameter mm -hmm. model, um, and that yep. th these parameters, like just adding more parameters, might get us somewhere. But it's definitely probably not going to get us to AGI. Uh, anything you've heard about other different types of models that that may be um, helpful for getting us to AGI? 
Uh, no, I've not heard of anything. And I've, I've racked my brain even thinking, like, I kind of wonder if GPT-4 is on the way there with the multimodal, like, division capability. Uh, unfortunately, you know, most people have not had a chance to try that out, like, because it's not available through the API. Like, you can use you can use GPT-4 through the API. You cannot use the multimodal capabilities through the API yet. Um, but, yeah, so, I, I mean, I would like to think that, you know, AGI will probably be some combination of the text-based LLM stuff and a... A multimodal vision sort of capability. Now, is there like an auditory capability uh, that you've also also might need that in? Maybe, and then start you know com combining the three. Um, what about yeah. other? That's really interesting because that gets me thinking about other senses that humans don't have, but other animals have that would mm -hmm. probably pretty yep. pretty helpful, if not very scary in terms of Skynet. Like, um, and I'm sure we can already do this with a lot of our technology. Is just but like the idea of having it all under one model. But I guess maybe you could just plug in the the LLM to the existing technology that we use to give computers sort of like infrared or, you know, crazy auditory things that bats have or anything like that. Do you have any thoughts on that? No, yeah, exactly. Uh, so the thing that I like to think about as well is, uh, you know, so the like if you think about AlphaGo versus AlphaZero. So mm -hmm. for those folks who are not familiar with that, so Alpha, AlphaGo was a, a model trained by, uh, it was a deep mind uh that yeah. was designed to play the game go uh so the original AlphaGo was trained on human uh like masters basically like their 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 games that they played and it did very well of course and then but then uh the the same modelers decided to build alpha zero which is a different uh philosophy which was basically saying okay let's create a policy for how to win the games but let's let's not tell the ai how to do it like let's not give it the master training data set and then it, it found ways to basically just blow the masters out of the water like it like it basically became untouchable and so the the thing i always wonder is like okay are we going to see the same sort of concept with llms or these other emerging models is you know where we had a human perception at one point but now these llms are doing some crazy things that we'd never even thought of before <laughs> um i i don't know we'll see <laughs> and that gets to a very interesting topic which is just like uh the word queer and i don't necessarily mean it in the in the in the mm -hmm. kind of sexuality way although it applies there as well sure. is just like this this the 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 weirdness of of everything that's going to happen and i was just watching a timothy leary clip as well where where he's he brings in his novelty theory and he says that you know things are just going to get continue and continuously weirder and weirder and weirder and at some point we're just going to have to start talking about how weird things get and i think we're already at that point where we're already talking it some of us are already talking about it um and uh and so it's like once it gets to that point that you just talked about of essentially like it starts to do things that we can't even conceive uh, and like we can only sit back as, as sort of like observers and it's it almost becomes art in itself because that's what art does as well is that art kind of sparks something in you that uh, that like due to its strangeness and well sometimes strangeness uh, some meow wolf would be a good example of that uh, kind of con con contradictory art. Um, but yeah, do you have any thoughts on that about just like the queerness of, 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 of what this could turn into? Um, I mean, I think about it a lot. Like, I, I don't know like what exactly is going to become like the, the thing that I think about probably the most often is how we're basically learning how unspecial consciousness is, uh, sim sim simultaneously special and unspecial. Yeah. So it's not special because now we're kind of able to emulate it. So what does that mean for like all the world religions and stuff? 
I personally wouldn't go as far to say that, like that that negates the uh, value of humans at all or anything or the value of human consciousness. But you know that's going to be a question by many people. It was like, well, because we we figured out how to make the man, does that mean the man's not important? Basically, I love what you said about how unspecial consciousness is, because that's my understanding of what the sages say as well. Is that like, because I think yeah. a lot of a lot of people go through a spirituality and kind of go through the spiritual uh, marketplace and and create all these like crazy, crazy, ungrounded beliefs and. Uh, you know, aliens and all this different stuff. And, and then most of the sages that I believe are sages then say, oh, that's, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's interesting stuff. But, uh, but, you know, bring it back to just like, shit's really simple. It's really simple. Uh, And, uh, and there's nothing special about it. Like consciousness is nothing special about it. But at the same time, the paradox is there because it's super special anyway. Um, But yeah, Uh, last, last couple of minutes, you have anything to say on that? Um. Uh, uh, so there, there were several thoughts and I, I'm trying to think of one that I wanted to pull out. Um, so consciousness is, uh, like if you wouldn't mind spurring me on again, sorry. Yeah. It's like the specialness of consciousness. Like it's not that special. There's a paradox there of how consciousness is special, but at the same time, it's not very special. Right. Yeah. And I've had this thought for years anyway. It's just that AI is kind of revealing this. So like, if you think about the quantized bits of the universe, like what is the the thing that's making my desk right now versus the thing that's making my arm right now what what is inherently more special about my arm than my desk and the answer is nothing and now the llms are really teaching us the the same thing with consciousness like is you know if we can emulate consciousness through human like through mathematical ways even if we have this con you know these chemical things going on in our head and stuff it still more or less boils down to nothing Wow. It, it, nothing and everything at the same yeah. time like it, it yeah i don't want to diminish the human experience by any means but yeah awesome uh well thank you so much for coming on the show anything you're working on that uh, you'd like to get out there people can follow you on twitter that type of thing yeah just follow me on twitter uh or, or youtube or linkedin or medium i do a lot of uh blogs on aiml uh over on medium i also try to do a live streaming uh thing on a machine learning topic almost every friday if not every other friday um, so you can find dkhundley.com, d-k-h-u-n-d-l-e-y.com, uh, goes to a link tree that takes you to all those places. So just a really simple little link tree. Cool. I'll put, I'll put it in the show notes as well. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, I-I-I. Also, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes for every weekly episode that I publish on Monday mornings. Hope you have a great day.